0: Alright, so Exodus chapter 2. Mario in the movie uh, is training to be a hero in in that scene, and he's doing a lot of cool things. Um, Ultimately, he uh, does succeed towards the end of the movie at becoming the ultimate hero. But what we're really looking at when we look at Exodus chapter 2 is last week we had the birth of Moses, and it's kind of an origin story of a hero, right? We talked about he was a, a savior. He was a type of savior for God's people he wasn't the savior he was a type of savior for them and so it really was the hero was born well now we're going to see that this hero grows up and there's a couple things that happen in his life some of them good some of them bad but you'll really get to see that this is a hero that they were holding out for and they were hoping would deliver them and even Moses himself thought he was that guy he thought he was going to be the hero To help them. So let's read a little bit. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 11 to 15, and then we'll see what happened to Moses' life. It says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, Two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So we're going to pause there for a second. So, so you guys may be familiar with the story. If you're not, that's okay. But Moses, after he was born, he is raised in the, in the courts, in the palace in Egypt, because he was raised by one of Pharaoh's many daughters, okay? So he's essentially like a grandson to the king. He's in the prince kind of court. And so he is growing up in this kind of wealth and power and authority. And you'll get to see a couple things about Moses that you get right off the bat. Number one, Moses is a man of two worlds, You see this kind of all over in this story, in particular in chapter 2. It says when he grew up, he went out to his people. So right here, Moses grew up in the Egyptian palace as a prince to the Pharaoh, but he also knew he was a Hebrew. I don't think it was a secret either. I think the Pharaoh knew as well, but because his daughter had raised this child, he chose to allow it to happen right under his nose, even though he did not like the Hebrews, the Jewish people. So you have Moses who had grown up in the palace, but he's a Hebrew and he associates with the people. It says that he looks out on his people and sees them as his own. So he doesn't just see the Hebrews as the people that he rules over. He sees them as his family. He knows where he comes from. But at the same time, he grew up and was very educated. We find this out in Acts chapter 7. If you want to get more context, it actually is really cool how in a sermon preached by a guy named Stephen in Acts chapter 7, you learn a little bit of the backstory of this story of Moses. But you find out that he was very educated. Moses grew up, knew how the world worked. Egypt was the world's power at that time. They gave him all of the rights of a prince. And so therefore, he would have known everything. He would have studied not just Egyptian culture, but he would have studied other cultures like the Hebrew culture, the Jewish culture that he was a part of, but not growing up in. And he would know all the other surrounding countries as well. So he's a very educated man. He's a very smart man. He's a very wealthy man as well. Finally, you'll see that Moses was a man of compassion and justice. Now you see this because as the prince... He leaves his palace, and he decides to stoop down to the people who are enslaved by the Egyptians. You see that in the very first verses. He went out to the people, and he looked on their burdens. This isn't just like he's going out and just kind of surveying it, like going on a a surveillance trip and kind of going like, Ooh, yeah, that guy's getting like, he's getting put under the, the lash right now. Like, that guy is getting whipped like seven times that's really bad and then he walks over here and goes "Ooh, this guy's building bricks with no straw that's really tough no he's actually going out and being with them he's not like on some watchtower just peering into the egyptians and the israelites interactions he's actually going down and walking amongst them so you see that he's compassionate because he looked at the people and didn't like what was happening. You can even see it in the second interaction he has on the next day, the day after his, his uh-oh. We'll get to his uh-oh in a second. But in verse 13, when he goes out, he saw two Hebrews, two people who are not supposed to be fighting, right? They're two of God's people. They're struggling and arguing together. And he's like, no, 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 you, you don't want to fight. He's looking for them to be reconciled. He's trying to make peace between two guys who are essentially like brothers in this Hebrew relationship, this family. And he's like, man, you guys should not be fighting. He's seeking peace out. So you can see that there's a couple things that you can see in Moses' life right off the bat. He's a man of two worlds. He's educated, and he's compassionate, and he seeks out justice. He did not like how the Egyptians were treating the Hebrews. It was unfair. He knew it. You imagine, he grew up knowing he was a Hebrew and grew up in a palace where they, all they talked about at the dinner table is how much they hated the Hebrews, and how much they wanted to kill them, and how much they couldn't wait to make sure that they kept them under oppression of slavery. You can imagine over time, this would really hurt Moses' heart, and he would be very influenced in a, a different way by the conversations that were happening in the palace. He'd be really frustrated. And so when he saw that, he sought to do something. Now, let's talk about one thing that Moses got right before we look at what Moses got wrong, okay? There was something that Moses got right, and you actually will learn this from Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 26. They're on the screen, so you don't have to flip to the back of your Bible, because we have them up there for you. But it says this, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So the writer of Hebrews actually gives us a little bit of insight into what has happened here. It says that as Moses grew up, and he's at the age of 40 when this uh, event in Exodus chapter 2 happens that we were reading earlier. He's 40 years old, but at some point as he's growing up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He basically said, I don't want the privileges of being the prince. I don't want that. Now, you may say to yourself, that's kind of foolish. You probably should do that for your own safety. For your own comfort. But Moses didn't want that. Why? When it says here in the Bible that instead of the fleeting pleasures of sin, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God. He chose to be considered like the slaves who the Egyptians hated and were making life miserable for. He chose to do that because there was something that he saw better than what Egypt and all of its gold and treasures could offer to him. And it says the reward. Moses was looking forward beyond what was temporary in this world to something eternal and a glory that was far going to outweigh everything that's here. And so the first thing that you see that Moses got right is that sin's benefits aren't real. They are temporary. So so sin offers all of us something that in a moment, in an instant, in the short term might be good. It might give you a good feeling. It might take away pain for a little bit. It might f- help you forget all the troubles and hardships in your life. Or maybe it, make it a really easy example because so many of you guys have either seen this happen or maybe it's happened in your own life. But, but here's, here's the temptation, the sin to cheat, right? Like a test is in front of you and, and you think in the short term, if I cheat, I can get a good grade and therefore I'll succeed. So, so in the short term, sin offers you the, the lifeline to say, hey, listen, if you cheat off of your, your neighbor's paper, then you can get a great grade. And you can forego, you know, the consequences of a, a failing grade. So, so in the short term, it offers you something good. But the problem is, is that long term, these things will not last. Eventually, let's just say, let's play out the cheating scenario real quick, okay? Let's say you don't get caught. Okay, most likely you will, but let's say you don't get caught in cheating on your neighbor's test. Well, okay, what you just did is you told everybody that you actually know information that you really don't. So later down in life, when it's assumed that you know basic information that you had to cheat to get by on, later on in life it comes that you actually need to know this information and you don't, you get found out. Do you see how sin offered you something temporary to succeed, but in the long term, it always comes to ruin? You you could do this with any example of sin in our lives—lying, cheating. uh, You could even even talk about coarse language. For a moment, you may think that makes you feel better about yourself, but in the long run, guess what? The way that you tear other people down actually will tear you down more. It's crazy how this happens. But sin always convinces us that in the short term it's good, but we don't see the long term. And that's what Moses did. He saw the long term. So so one thing that Moses got right is he saw sin's benefits aren't real. They're temporary. And when you turn from sin, you don't just say, I'm going to stop doing bad things. But you identify with God or Christ. You identify with him and his people. And and that's what Moses did too. He decided, I don't want to be called an Egyptian. Call me a Hebrew. Call me one of God's children. And then he went to identify with God's people. Listen, there there are times in your lives, maybe you've already had those moments. There will be other times, whether you go to a a Christian school, a public school, a home school, a co-op, or whatever you go to, you will have the opportunity to identify as a Christian just by yourself. Now that might be a big, bold step in one case for you. But for some of you, that's not as bad as then identifying yourself as a Christian that belongs with other people who call themselves Christians. Because you know people who, they might accept you because they've been your friend for a long time and they think you're cool. But then you start to talk about, oh yeah, you're, you're a Christian like that guy? He's a nerd. He's, he is so weird. You're one of them. You're, you're not with him. I mean, you could be a Christian, but you're not with him or her, right? See, that sometimes for some of you is going to be the, the greater temptation, but, but that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not just turning away from your sin. It's claiming to be with Christ and identifying with his people, even if they are the unpopular people. The Israelites were not the popular people in Egypt, and Moses identified with them. That, that's what it looks like to turn from your sin. It's putting those things away, identifying with Christ and his people. Now, that's what Moses got right. <coughs> now, what did Moses get wrong? I'm going to show you in Acts 7, 23 to 26, what Stephen said. Because I told you Stephen talked about Moses and he gives you a little bit of backstory on what Moses got wrong. It says, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? So Stephen just recounts a lot of what we read in Acts chapter 2. But it gives you a couple details that weren't in Exodus excuse me, chapter 2. So here's what he says. He says, number one, he saw one of them being wronged. Now, in justice, Moses is a man of justice. He wants to make sure what is wrong is made right. Here's what he got wrong. He took matters into his own hands instead of trusting in God's timing. What did he do? Well, in Exodus 2, it says he looked this way and that, he saw no one, and he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The <coughs> translation is, he basically saw the guy unjustly beating an Israelite or a Hebrew, and he looked around, he made sure there were no witnesses, and he took, this is the opportunity. I will take matters in my own hand. And he struck him down. He kills the Egyptian (coughs) and then buries the evidence. Literally putting him in the sand for hopefully no one to find. (coughs) Now that's clearly not the way that God would want this to happen. It is the unjust way of handling a situation that is unjust in itself. But you can't defeat unjust things with unjust acts. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. The old saying, two wrongs don't make a right. It does apply here. And Moses got that wrong. (coughs) He took matters into his own hands. He worked in secret. He did it. You can tell in a courtroom they would call this kind of premeditation because he thought before he acted. This wasn't a crime of passion where Moses just saw two people and one is beating down another and said, that's wrong. And he just goes and clocks the guy who's beating the other guy down. You clearly see that he took a moment, he paused, and he thought, I can do something here, but let's make sure nobody's looking around, because what I'm about to do is not good. He looked around, made sure nobody was watching, and then he acted. So he wanted to do it in secret. (coughs) Now, what you also learn from Acts chapter 7 is interesting, that later on, when Moses went to other Hebrews the next day, and they were arguing, he went to them, and it says he supposed that the brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. Moses thought that he was going to be the deliverer that God's people needed. Now, I find this really interesting because if you've grown up reading any of these old Bible stories, Moses is the deliverer that God uses to rescue the people of God in Exodus. Just not yet. He hasn't been called by God. God hasn't appointed him to that spot yet. Moses has chosen to jump the gun, put timing into his own hands, take matters into his own hands, and he goes into it and says, I will just take this into my own hands now. And he supposes that when he goes to these two Hebrews the day after he knocked out the Egyptian and buried his body, he assumes that they're going to look to him and go, oh, you're our new leader. We'll all surround you. We'll follow you. And what do the two Hebrews say? He who do you think you are? You're not one of us. That, that, that's, that's their response, right? They say, listen, who made you a prince and judge over us? You want to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? See, this is what I think is really fascinating. This is where he grew up in two worlds. He grew up in the palace. He sees himself as a Hebrew. He hasn't seen himself as an Egyptian. So he thinks, I'm going to align with the people of God. And then he does something that's really wrong, thinking, I'll be your savior. I'll be your hero. I'll be the one you've been looking for. And then they go, no, we don't want you. Now what? (coughs) Because what Moses just did is he said, I'm throwing away my Egyptian card. I'm shredding that passport. I'm going to be the Hebrews. And the Hebrew goes, well, we don't want you. So now where does he go? And he's lost. (coughs) <coughs> the only place for him to go now is to run, and that's exactly what he, he does. See, this is, this is the problem for Moses is that his life fell apart in this moment because he took matters into his own hands. Th- this is something that we should, we should be really careful of is that we, we sometimes think that our actions aren't going to have big consequences, but too often in our lives, there are actions that can have big consequences. We just don't see it, and that's another problem with sin is that sin shrinks what we see and we don't see what's really going to happen. Think about Moses's life. He went from living in a great city in Egypt to suddenly being found in the wilderness. That stinks. Listen, I'm a city guy. I've camped before. I don't mind it. It's not my favorite, and I married a person whose idea of camping is starts with either Hilton uh, Inn, Hampton Inn, uh, Marriott, or no, we've never even done Holiday Inn. So yeah, we probably go as far as there, right? So So that's our idea of camping. So To go from city to wilderness, that's a huge downgrade, okay? Like even nowadays, think about back then, big downgrade. He went from riches in the palace to being absolutely poor. He's got no money to his name when he leaves the palace. Pharaoh cut him off, right? Pharaoh wants to kill him, so you can't tap into the great bank of Egypt anymore. You're not going to get that money. He went from riches to poor. He went from being a prince to being a fugitive, a criminal on the run. He went from his home to a foreign land. It says that he fled to Midian, a place that was to the east of Egypt, another country. People who were somewhat related to the Hebrews but weren't Hebrews themselves. And so he fled there. This is, this is Moses. This is what he thought he could be, the hero of the story. He took matters into his own hands and, and it all went wrong because he tried to do it outside of God's timing. Now, when I read those things about Moses, where he transitioned from, there is something that's very interesting about this. Moses is, again, a type of Savior, but not the Savior. But you can see their similarities in what Jesus went through. Jesus left the city of God, heaven, and came down to the earth, which is quite wild in comparison to what the order of heaven looks like right now. Jesus went from absolute riches and perfection to being impoverished and poor, not just entering earth, but literally, I mean, he was born to a carpenter's son, not very wealthy, and then if you read about Jesus later, he says that as he did his ministry, he didn't have a place to lay his own head, so he never actually had a home while he was on earth as a grown man. He, he went from being the son of God to being put on trial as a criminal, tried for crimes that he didn't commit. And he left his home to go to a foreign land. And guess what? He went to go to be with his people. And just like Moses did, when he approached his people and said, here, I am here to be your savior, his own people didn't want him. Like, do you see the similarities? Moses and Jesus. The Bible is setting this up from the get-go. I mean, in my Bible, you see how thick it is over here? This is where we're at right now. Already this deep in. It's setting up that we are looking for a savior. Moses knows that people need salvation. They need a hero. He steps up. I'm the guy. Not yet, you're not. And you're not the guy. So Moses made a really big mistake. I mean, he's a murderer. He killed somebody. But one of the things that you'll see in Moses' life is that just like we have been separated from Christ and just as Moses made a mistake... God is always about giving grace to people and still using them. This is one of my favorite verses in in the Bible, and I wanted to make sure you guys saw it tonight. Ephesians 2, 12-13 says this, Remember that you were at one time, at that time, you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, I, I'm not going to take all the time to break this verse down, but just look at some, listen to some key words here. Remember, there was a time in your life, if you're a believer, there's a time where you were separated from Christ, you were not with Him. You didn't just wake up a Christian. You weren't just born a Christian. There had to be a moment where you surrendered your life to Christ. And so, remember, there was a time you were without Christ. And when you were without Christ, or if, if that's you right now, without Christ, this is what it was like. You were alienated. You were a stranger. You had no hope. And you were without God in this world. Like, like that's the before Christ for all of us. But now, in Christ Jesus, we were once far off. We've been brought near by the blood of christ so so just like moses we've all made mistakes like this and you may be like nah, i've never murdered a guy and tried to cover it up but but any of us who have sinned and fallen short of god's glory we fall short and we are in need of god's grace just as much as moses is and moses received it see after his failure moses was still chosen by god to lead his people that's what the rest of the book of exodus you remember we'll get to the burning bush in a couple weeks i mean God used Moses for so many amazing things. He chose Moses to meet with him on the mountain and, and receive the Ten Commandments and bring them down to the people. Moses is still being used even after a massive failure in his life. So it tells me two things, and, and if you're following along in your notes. One of the blanks says, failures can still be God's followers. Listen, you may be... The kind of person who just thinks about all the things that you've done wrong. And that's easier for you to think about the things that God is doing right in your life. But, but what the Lord is trying to remind you is that his grace can cover a multitude of sins. And if you have been a failure, which we all have been, guess what? He can still use failures and turn them into his followers. In fact, not a single one of us who calls ourselves a believer right now is not at first a failure that God has brought out of that and chosen to put with him. The other thing that you can see out of this is that sinners can still be God's servants. Moses messed up. He took matters into his hands, tried to do things his way, tried to do it without God, without faith. tried to just do it by his own works. And guess what? That's sin. But sinners can still be God's servants. The end of that Ephesians 2 chapter I shared with you earlier ends up like this. It says, And Jesus came and preached peace to us who were far off and peace to those who were near, some of you may feel so far from God. Some of you feel like, man, I've grown up in church, so I'm always near to God. But wherever you are in your feeling of closeness to God, Jesus comes to preach peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. And through him, you have access to the Spirit, to the Father. There are no longer strangers and aliens if you are with him. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That is the beautiful message of grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that you were once far off, but now through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his death on the cross, he brings you near to him. And now you get to be a citizen with him. Not lo- no longer a stranger, or an alien, or a foreigner, but you're a citizen and a member of the household of God. Maybe, maybe you need to be reminded of that's who you are. Maybe you need to be reminded that God still uses sinners to be his servants or failures to be his followers. All right, so let's finish with the last part of Exodus 2, and then we'll be done. So verses 16 to 22 says this. Now the priest of Midian, so Moses flees off to this other place called Midian, had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Raul, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So, so here's what's really fun about Moses' story is that he messed up, but then had the opportunity to get it right, and he took that opportunity immediately after. So he's sitting by the well, and these, these women come up to get some water from the well. That's not an easy task, by the way, to load up buckets of water, then for the flock. That would have been lots of water that they would have to draw up, right? Well, then these shepherds show up, and they basically start to be in unjust, just like the Egyptian. Back earlier, Moses' experience was treating the Hebrew unjust. And so these shepherds are not treating these women kindly. They're doing the wrong thing. And what does Moses do? Instead of rising up and killing them, he basically gets them away. He doesn't doesn't fall back into the old trap. He drove them away, and he stood up and saved the women. He stood up and saved a Hebrew just a couple days before. And they ended in murder. This time he stood up and saved a group of women. And it ends with him serving the women, getting the water for them. It says after he watered their flock. So Moses actually did the task that the women were meant to do. Where he fills up the water and then he gives it to the flock. He served the women. He not just saved them, but he served them. This, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. You, you, you want to do the right thing. Not fall into sin and then continue to serve other people. And this is what Moses did. He was humbled and willing to serve. And that's exactly what we should be too. We should be humbled the way that Moses was humbled. I mean, he has fallen from the prince of Egypt to literally leaning on the side of a well and sh- chasing off a bunch of shepherds to save some women who he's just met. So so he is hes doing something that's pretty... He's being humbled, but he's also doing something that's full of service and pretty amazing as well. But here's, here's what the, the, the thing that shows me is, is that in his saving and serving, he's again modeling the true hero of the Bible, who is Jesus, right? Because in Jesus, it says in Mark that the Son of Man came to, or sorry, in Luke, it says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then you see other places where Jesus kneels down and he serves the lost, where he serves his disciples by washing their feet. Th- this, is, this is what Jesus does. He he saves people and he serves them in humility. And he's doing that because he is the true hero that humanity needs. He's the true hero that we need. Moses is just a picture of the true hero. And so so what you learn is that Moses isn't the hero of the story Jesus is we aren't the heroes in our own stories Jesus is the hero a lot of times we, we like to we like to talk big about what, you know what we've done you know it's you talk about stories like you know especially the older you get stories change a lot and we add extra details to make us sound more heroic because we like to be at the idea especially like guys we like to be the the center of attention and they kind of have that heroic kind of moment where you stepped in and saved the day. And the reality is, is that if we try to save ourselves, we're just acting just like Moses did back in Egypt. We're not the heroes of our story. In fact, Moses is made small, and we are to be made small, so that we can make Jesus big. And and that's the thing about our lives. We We should decrease so that he can increase, right? That, that's the whole the whole life of the Christian is to decrease so that more of God may be seen in my life. Think about Moses' next 40 years because he gets to Midian. He saves the women at the well. He marries one of the daughters. And then he's just a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness in Midian. He's got a great education. He was wealthy. He was probably very powerful, like all these things. And now he's a nobody. He has gone from the, the height of society to literally the rags in a complete anonymity and obscurity. Those are big words by basically saying nobody would even know who he is. Nobody could even find him in Midian. I love this quote out of a, a commentary I was reading earlier this week. <clears throat> it says that Moses spent 40 years in Egypt learning something as a sunbody. He spent the next 40 years in a desert learning to be nothing. That, that's the part of Moses' life that you get to the end of chapter 2. He's learning to do nothing. He's not a hero. God's not calling him for these 40 years. He's literally just day in, day out, tending sheep in the wilderness, living life out there, the simple life, a whole lot of nothing. Then God calls him, and we'll get there in a few weeks, but then God calls him, and the last 40 years of his life was spent in the wilderness proving God to be everything. You see the transition in his life. He went from thinking he was everything to being shown that he was nothing to then being shown that God is everything. Guys, if I, if I could simplify life for you in, in three phases, that should be how it is for each of us. And prayerfully, it, well, science would probably dictate that none of us are going to get 120 years. So we're not going to get the 40-year the options, the uh, three 40-year chunks to get this right so don't, don't think that you should stretch the amount of time in each of these phases. But, but here's the phases of your life. Maybe you're in the phase right now where you think you're everything. And you're something. My prayer is that God will show you that, man, really, let's be brought to nothing. So that when you're brought to nothing, and you think less of yourself, God can show up and show you that he's your everything. Maybe some of you guys have been brought to nothing at this point. Maybe something in your life is just crushing you and you feel like you've been brought to nothing. The hope that you can draw from this story is that God will show up and he will show you that he is your everything. That, that's what Christian maturity looks like, is, is moving from thinking you're something to being brought low to then seeing that God is your everything. And he, he is that amazing to be your everything. And we'll get into more of Moses' story later on. Because, man, so many things that happen in Moses' life are a direct result of this amazing God that he makes much of. And that's how amazing. That same God in Exodus is the same God who's trying to work in your life and show you that he can be your everything. And that that's my hope, and my prayer for you tonight is that you would move from from that transition and see God as your everything. All right, let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we just... We thank you and acknowledge that you are holy, you are so other than us, you are separated from us, and that is a good thing, that you are not like us in any way, God, that you are beyond what we can imagine, what we can compare, there's nothing in this life that we can even draw a correlation to or illustrate you because you are so great, but Lord, we we in our own flesh in our own sinfulness sometimes think too highly of ourselves we 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 make ourselves be big and make ourselves be more important than we really are but when we are compared to you we are nothing so god humble us to remind us that you need to be our everything god remind us that being a follower of christ is not just turning from sin but it's turning from sin and identifying ourselves as one of your children and identifying with your other children. God, help some of us in here who have a hard time identifying with you or with your people. Give us the courage and the boldness to to know that whatever the world is trying to tempt or offer us is not greater than you. God, be with us and help us to see that you are the hero that we need. Help us to stop looking for other people to save us or even entrusting our own abilities to deliver us from the different troubles in our lives. May we rely solely on you, lean on you, ask you in prayer, seek you in your word to see that you are all that we need. So God, we just lift you up tonight and, and acknowledge that you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy because you are the only one who can save us. God, thank you for being that saving God that we need. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Don't move. Sit down. Don't move. Okay.